It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. For all your Ohio State apparel needs, visit ShopOhioState.com and MinutemanTickets.com. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys for theater tickets, concert tickets, sporting events. Visit MinutemanTickets.com and our one-week sponsor for the Michigan game, OurParking.Space. If you are going to Ohio State, Michigan, and you need to park, visit OurParking.Space and reserve your parking spot ahead of time. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Michigan Week Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice and Stephen Means from Cleveland.com, your Ohio State coverage team. Make sure you're reading us at cleveland.com slash OSU. Make sure you're subscribed to this Buckeye Talk podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on a bunch of places where you find your favorite podcasts. And this is one of your favorite podcasts. Admit that to yourself and get subscribed so you don't miss anything. We are in the Schottenstein Center on Tuesday afternoon. We're trying to get it out early to you guys this week with uh, Thanksgiving approaching. We talked to Ohio State players on Tuesday. We talked to Urban Meyer on Monday. And we will dig into all of that. Um, Robert Smith might be joining us from Fox Sports. He said we could call him. I called him. He wasn't home. Uh, But maybe he'll call back in the middle of this podcast. And if he does, we'll put him on. So, um, Stephen, I want to get right to uh, the questions with our our fine listeners here at Buckeye Talk. And obviously, there's a lot of nitty-gritty stuff with this Ohio State-Michigan game. But I think there's a lot of interesting sort of big-picture stuff. Um, as well. And we'll start with our guy, Visual Ambassador, at Viz Ambassador. Does losing to Michigan make this Urban's worst year at Ohio State? Does losing to Michigan any year make the season a failure? Um, I think this has become a complicated question and has become, more importantly, an abstract question. For Ohio State fans, by winning 13 of the last 14, and let's be honest, like the 2011 loss kind of doesn't count because that was such a screwed up Ohio State season. Ohio State, when it's not in total chaos and disarray because of NCAA sanctions, has not lost to Ohio to Michigan in 14 years, 
A true, real representation of Ohio State football has not lost to Michigan since 2003. That's a generation. That's kids who don't, teenagers who have never experienced a Michigan loss. So you reach, you reach the point where, where a question like this is not based in reality. It's based on the far reaches of your cobwebbed memories, and it's based on the abstract idea of a Michigan loss. So we'll get to the second part of the question first. Stephen, do you have the belief? Do you think most fans in this playoff world have the belief that if you lose to Michigan, the season is a failure for Ohio State? I don't think it's a failure, but it definitely puts an asterisk on the season. So let's say, well, this scenario doesn't exist this year because there's no way it would happen because Ohio State already has a loss. But say for some reason Ohio State lost to Michigan. That was their only loss in the season, and yet they went on to win a national championship. Congratulations, you won the national championship, but there's an asterisk on that national championship. Okay, but we, we've, we've, had that, we've had that discussion before. Right. Let's talk about this year. They're 10-1. and one. If okay. they finish 10-2, and two, and we'll get into this too, if they lose, they're probably going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. So they're 10-2 and two and going to the Rose Bowl. A 10-2 and two season with a loss to Michigan is this season a failure. Is this season a failure with a loss to Michigan? Yes, because of everything that's also on the line of, along with the fact that it's Michigan. This, this game is going to ride on whether or not Ohio State can play for a Big Ten championship and possibly a spot in the college football playoff on top of the fact that this is also against your rival, Michigan. That's like the cherry on top of this, in this entire scenario of everything that's on the line for Ohio State to come this Saturday. So, yeah, from those standpoints, because of everything else that is also on the table in this game – if you lose to Michigan, yeah, your season's a failure. And it's hard. The, the first part of this question from our guy, Viz Ambassador, is does losing to Michigan make this Urban's worst year? So it's only year seven. He's 6-0. and oh, So, yeah. <laughs> so, like, by some definition of, like, well, yeah, of course, because he has never lost the thing that you're asking about. And also they have nine losses in seven years. Um, so so I, think, I think from that standpoint – I, like what's their worst? I don't know what the worst season is now. Like so, 2012 they went undefeated. 2013 they they were undefeated in the regular season. 14 they won it all. 15 had they had the loss they couldn't lose. 16 they made the playoff with a young team. Last year they lost. I guess their worst year is last year because they lost twice in the regular season. So like, would this make this his worst year? Yeah, I guess it would, right? Because I don't even know what would qualify as his worst year so far. But if you don't win your division. You don't go to the Big Ten Championship, and you lose to Michigan. Yeah, that's your worst year, I guess, right? Yeah, like because of all the things on the line. Yeah, this would be your worst loss, or worst season. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite way on this, and I'm gonna theorize, and we'll get to this later. Stephen and I have made our picks for this game. Uh, that video will be up Friday, but as usual, if you listen to Buckeye Talk, you get the goods early. I am envisioning a world, Stephen, where. Ohio State loses to Michigan on Saturday. And I think it is important. I think there is a difference. Tell me if you disagree. Do you think it is a difference if you're going to lose? If Ohio State is going to lose to Michigan, does it, make it e- does it make it easier to take if Michigan's good? That it's not an upset. That it's not that you had a great year. It's not a John Cooper loss. 
It's not, a, it's not a year where you had a fantastic year, and not only did Michigan beat you, Michigan ruined your season. Michigan kept you from something that you felt entitled to by how great you were. I don't know that any Ohio State fan feels like this team is entitled to the playoff. Most, team, most fans, I think, feel like this is not a playoff team. So the idea that oh, Michigan is favored, Michigan is ranked higher, Michigan has been playing better, Michigan wins, goes to the Big Ten Championship, goes to the playoff, Michigan is just better. Does that make it easier for an Ohio State fan to accept the loss as opposed to if Ohio State had lost to Michigan in 2016 in a year when Ohio State was favored, Ohio State was on track for the playoff, they barely won in Columbus? I think it makes it worse, honestly. Really? Because... This is your rival, and it's nothing. Wor- it's already bad losing to your rival. It, it's a no whole other situation when like you lost, and like people thought you were going to lose anyway. Because then you're admitting that, regardless of like what the score was, you came into the game already not as good as what your rival was. So I think having that understanding of man, not only did we lose, but like we were supposed to lose. Like no one expected. The fact that it's going to be a surprise if Ohio State wins, I think, makes the loss sting that much worse. I would say, I think <laughs> this is this is going to be like the kind of this. This sounds like a rationalization. I'm giving you an out, Ohio State fans, before the game even gets here. I'm giving you a ready-made excuse, a ready-made talking point. Um, my guy, where I take my car to get uh, the oil changed. Um, gives great service. Ron, great guy. Uh, takes care of me. Shout out to Ron. He is a Northeast Ohio native, a loyal Ohio State and Cleveland sports fan. He told me the other day when I was getting new wiper blades that his uh, wife is from Ann Arbor. And so they are an Ohio State, Michigan family. Uh, He is an Ohio State guy with Michigan in-laws. So if you are one of those people, if you are someone uh, with... Ohio State, if you're an Ohio Stater with Michigan friends, with Michigan family, with Michigan in-laws, sock this away in case things don't go well Saturday. I think this is the best way to lose to Michigan. Here's a bad way to lose to Michigan. You're awesome, and they upset you and ruin your year. I call that a Cooper loss. Okay, That's awful. Here's another bad way to lose in this rivalry game. Be much, much worse for an extended period of time and just get your butt kicked every year. I call that the Rich Rod way of losing. So if you're going to get cooped or you're going to get Rich Rodded, both of those stink, right? Because to your point, like the idea of our rival is better than us and they just beat us. Like it's like we like we knew knew we were going to lose and we lost. I don't think that's what this is. This is neither. This would neither be a coop nor a Rich Rod. This would be Ohio State has been the better program. Ohio State is not falling apart. Now, maybe, I don't know, we look back in 10 years and say, oh, that was the beginning, beginning of the end for Ohio State. Now, you could replay this. But at the moment, there's no reason to think that, and we're going to get to plenty of questions about what this means for Urban Meyer's future and all those things. But even if for some reason Urban Meyer is not around after this season, this is not a program that is falling apart. This is a program that has the number two recruiting class in the country in 2017 and 18. Ohio State's still good, but Michigan is back. Michigan was down for a long time. Michigan is back. So what this would be 
is one year where Ohio State's a little down talent-wise and Michigan is back. And for this one year, you can say to yourself as an Ohio State fan, Michigan was better. What are we going to do? But you don't have to think to yourself, oh my God, they're going to be better than us forever. We're never going to win this game again. So it is, not, it is more a one-year blip where we're honestly kind of clearly Michigan's the better team. So you're not getting upset, but you're also not looking at a future where you're, you're doomed to be in the little brother in this rivalry. And I think maybe in that rationalization, you can basically say they were better than us now, but we'll get them next year. I think everything starts off like that until it isn't like that. I guarantee you the first time Rod lost, it was, okay, this is just a blip. And then it turned into not being so much of a blip and turned into a succession of losses over time, over time. It always starts off where it's just, it's just one loss and it's a blip and we've got these recruiting classes. And, but, and they do, 100%. But, but like Michigan was like an under 500 team for a bunch. It's not like Ohio State's under 500. No, no, no. no. I'm not saying that Ohio State is this is going to flip and then Michigan's just going to be a top three team every year and Ohio State's going to be below 500. But I don't know if this is a blip either. I think that this year Michigan's clearly the better team coming into the game. But I think that at this point, this is now a rivalry that's like equal again. This is it's not just equal by terms of like the hatred the two teams have for each other. I think this is going to be a game that's going to be a decider again for things as it should be, and not just one team getting the opportunity to ruin the hopes for another team. And I agree. Is that bad? It doesn't no, it doesn't it's not a bad from a competitive standpoint, no, it's great. It's that- like, Ohio State fans would not be – if this – everyone's been waiting for the renewal of the 10-year war. Yeah. 5-4-1. Two legendary coaches. Now, we don't know what's up with, what's up with Urban, but when Harbaugh came back, people thought we're renewing the 10-year war. So far, Urban's 3-0 and against him. So we didn't start it right away. 15, they got blown out. Now, 16 and 17 were close. Maybe it turns out the 16 was the beginning of the second version of the 10-year war. Yeah. Just so happened Urban won the first two. But – but I don't think, like, if that's what this is, people, Ohio State fans did not hate the 10-year war. There's a part of it. I've been waiting for that. I've never covered that. The idea that every year you don't know who's going to win, and basically it's a coin toss every year, and you go back and forth, and over the next 10 years, Michigan wins five and Ohio State wins five? But I think as a fan, it does provide a level of stress that hasn't necessarily been there for the past, what, 10 years pretty much? But – no, so I agree. So, th- so I think there's a couple important points to make. One is Ohio State fans have been spoiled by the last 14 years. Yeah. I, I also think Ohio State fans realize like it's they're not Ohio State's not going to win 24 out of 25, right? Th- this has not been an equal rivalry basically since the 10 year war. That it was it was Michigan dominated for a decade, decade and a half. Now Ohio State has dominated. It has not been back and forth. So here's what I think: if you're a fan in this rivalry. I think you Ohio State dreaded it. Dread you dread the Cooper years because it's like, wow, Ohio State's great, but God, we're gonna find a way to lose to Michigan. And that bore out time and time again. Two, ten, and one. That was proven. Or you're like Michigan. So that was one so so those are the two extremes, right? Cooper was two, ten, and one. That's a that's a 13 year period of, of Michigan winning ten out of thirteen. Now we're at a 14-year period of Ohio State winning 13 out of 14. 
And, and it has been the opposite of that. It has not been, and I did a stat the other day, I think, I think Cooper had the better team in five of those games. So also Michigan was good then, but Cooper was one and four as a favorite against Michigan. A favorite on the betting line, which is just the dread. That's the dread that seeps through a fan base. The Michigan dread has been under Rich Rodriguez, under the end of Brady Hoke, excuse me, under the end of Lloyd Carr, and then Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, the dread was we can't compete. They whoop us every year. They're better every year, and we can't upset them. We can't get over the top. Those are two versions of absolute dread. First for Ohio State fans, second for Michigan fans. What we might be entering, I don't think is a terrible world for Ohio State fans. It's a different world than winning 13 out of 14, but I don't think there is fear in that world like there would be fear for a fan base in the previous two iterations. The past 27 years, there's been a version of fear. Fear of getting upset or fear of getting your butt kicked. Both were legitimate. If this gets to the point where it's an equal match, that's competition. That's what, that's what Jim Harbaugh says. He likes best about this, this rivalry. I like the competition. Go watch the Jim Harbaugh 13-minute news conference on mgoblue.com from Monday. It's a reminder about how unbelievable it is to interview Jim Harbaugh. I think the fact that this might actually jumpstart itself with Michigan winning at Ohio State makes it that much better. Better, not, but, but not. Uh, do you, if Ohio State loses on Saturday, on Sunday, will Ohio State fans feel sick? For a moment, because they lost to Michigan at home. But I think that then, just like the clock in the locker room, it restarts. And it's like, now we have to go beat them in Ann Arbor. That has to happen. In and, 2019. And, and you start that clock with the belief that you can do it. Yeah. That's, now, it's very different when that clock starts. And you have no hope. And you think to yourselves, it does either one of two things. You think, it doesn't matter how good we are, we're going to lose this game again. Or, it doesn't matter how good we are, we're not going to be as good as them. And again, one side and then the other, to me, that's what it's been for 27 years. And if this is the end of that... I don't. It's an absolutely new reality for Ohio State fans. I do not think it's a reality that Ohio State fans should fear, and it's not one they should. should they, they have to be able to live in that reality. I think. Eric Kazimoff. Eric Kaz always asks thoughtful questions. I believe much of the negative press Buckeye football team is getting is based on a super high expectations of being a great team. B. Urban's Buckeye success. They're 10 and 1 with everything in front of them, agree or disagree, and why. This is exactly what Tough Borland said on Tuesday. He said, if you had told me before the season that I could sign up for 10 and 1, play in Michigan with the Big Ten East on the line and a chance to make the Big Ten championship with some playoff implications there, I'd take it every time. Yeah, Draymond Jones said some under the line of the same thing. Guys, people are acting like we're 1 and 10. We're 10 and 1. Yep. Like, because it's Ohio State, it's oh my God, we're ten and one. But you're ten and one with an opportunity to pretty much like sign up for the college football playoff, barring some other things, of course. But that's what's on the like. There is so much on the line for them, and like they're almost in the perfect position. I said they're. I mean they're they're they have a playoff shot. They they've hurt their playoff possibilities for sure. As I as I wrote um, on the weekend. Um, they're not going to win any style point battle against another one-loss conference no. champ. So 
rather than being at the point where like I, if they win out, they're in, which I had thought they were in. I think they were in that spot at one point, even after the Purdue loss. But when you stack up the Nebraska game and the Maryland game and the first three quarters of the Michigan State game and compare that to Washington State in particular, um, I think you've lost the style points battle. But there's certainly – you don't need a ton of help. You need like a couple things that are very possible. So the idea that playoff implications are still there and everything else – I think it's the difference of micro view versus macro view. Macro view, when Tuff Borland or Draymond Jones says that, you go, you know what? Kind of right. Micro view, you watch Maryland and you say, oh my God, what is wrong with these people? Is that okay? Though? Like, do you, is that, and we've gone back and forth in this podcast before you were here, Stephen, and since you've been here, I mean, it's all, all year. And I flipped around a couple times. Thinking like they're fine, they'll be fine, they'll be fine, and then as the year has gone on and it hasn't really changed, thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, they're, they're not fine. I'm I'm comfortable in this world. Is there anything wrong with this world? No. The way that, that, that this question, the way it's framed, I think is true. Is that okay, or is there something that should shift with how the media or fans looks at this team? No, I think players should live in the macro and fans should live in the micro. Oh, that just blew. My mind. Because at the end of the day, we're not on the field. So we can overreact to everything under the sun if we want to. They can't do that. So they, and and no matter what sport it is or who it is, as a player, as the subject who's in it, if you're in the fishbowl, you got to live in the macro. Everyone who's watching that goldfish in the fishbowl can live in the micro. That's it. We're going to end on that note. That That was so spot on. Wise words from Stephen Ames. Damn, you bring it for Michigan Week, Stephen Means. God, that was good. Fast Eddie, Fast Eddie asked like 11 questions. This is the most important one. What is the appropriate time to eat Thanksgiving dinner? We always ate around 2, but had antipasta and appetizers starting around 11. Are you Italian? Is he Italian? His last name is Waller? I don't know what that means. Catholic husband, father, Furman alumnus, veteran sports fanatic, avid Buckeye fan, and Ron Paul supporter. He's from Germany. I like Fast Eddie. He's got a lot going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I like that plan. It sounds like I'm ready to go to Germany to follow the Fast Eddie plan of having to do things. I think that is a good window. Um, I, I like to sleep late because I'm a lazy person. I don't want to eat too early in the day, but I also want to be able to hit like a quick breakfast, not very much so that I'm super hungry. No breakfast. You go straight. So you you starve yourself until it's time to eat things. So can you day. wait till – if you don't eat breakfast, can you wait till 2 or do you got to go earlier? I can wait till 2 because I'm going to be, like, occupied. Like, I'll be watching the parade. I'll be doing stuff. So I'll, like, keep myself busy to where I'm not, like, trying to snack on something. Okay. I I mean, I like the idea of, like, if you actually have appetizers that are planned, that's lovely as well. Yeah. But I don't want to go much later than 2. No, 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 no. You need to be eating by the time the first, like, by that at the latest, at halftime of the first football game, you need to be eating. Yeah. So that the and, – and then, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. If anybody eats later than that, I'd no, be curious to hear that. Because your nap needs to be in between the two football games. You do need to plan for the nap. Yeah. What's your thanks, favorite Thanksgiving tradition, Fast Eddie asks? For example, watching football, playing a friendly backyard football game with family and friends, eating until you puke, uncomfortable political discussions around the dinner table. Boy, Fast Eddie is bringing Man, the uh, Thanksgiving y'all, y'all questions here. Do it. Are you a – have you been a, uh, like a backyard football guy? No, so like our thing is like really simple, and it's more something that like you don't even realize it's happening in the moment. It's like the little things. So like, my father and my uncle, and my, my both my uncles, we'll all eat, 
and then we'll take the walk. Nice. Yep. And then you start talking on the walk? Oh, yeah. Gets real? Yeah, just a short walk, just like enough because it's cold and like we yeah. don't, none of us like the cold. But just enough to, you know, get some of that food down so you can get back in there and get back to it. Take the walk. Yeah. And everybody knows. And when it's time. You know exactly when it's time. Do you remember, like, when you were little, did you have to, like, get to the age where you were welcome on the walk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, at five, I wasn't on the walk. <laughs> you were like, but it's like eight-year-old Steven's like, all right, your legs are working. You yeah. can handle going around the block a couple times. Let's go. We don't go. have to, like, keep our eye on you the entire time. Yeah. Walk. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a grown-up walk. Well, yeah, yeah. Man, Steven, you're bringing a tear to my eye with the deep <laughs> thoughts today. Well, bro, how about this one from Mikey Willis? Mikey Wills. Mikey Wills, it is. Any chance Tate Martell starts to throw them that curveball? No. Uh, no. I like where your head's at, Mikey yeah, Wills, but I don't think it's going to happen. I've got to answer that question. Oh, oh my wait, God. He was waiting. Guest yeah, appearance, yeah. guest appearance by the one and only Bill Landis. Yes. Oh, oh my God. But my take was outrageous. You, are, you talking to, are you talking to Martell family members on that one? Maybe. Bill Landis wants Tate Martell to get the start. I think we all um, want him to get the start, but it's not happening. If uh, yeah, let's let's see how that goes over with Dwayne. Hey, Dwayne. Oh yeah, you're not oh, starting. God. Hey, remember how you saved us last year? Yeah, you're not <laughs> starting. Start today. Uh, Greg Miller, OSU farm boy. Which head coach will win the total TV exposure battle? ESPN loves showing both of them extensively. And it's, it's a funny thing because, like, we don't watch the games. And then when I do watch them, um, and we don't watch them on TV, when I do watch them at home, I fast forward through stuff. And lots of times on yeah. the Internet, there's clips where you can just watch just the plays. I'm, I fast forward through the sideline antics. Uh, obviously, we know Urban was shown a lot last week. Um, it depends how tight it is. But it, it is a reminder that, like, Urban Meyer is not the only guy in the world who is uh, – a little nuts on the sidelines sometimes. Jim Harbaugh can get a little nuts. I think it depends on, like, the play. What happens in a yeah. specific play. Um, you know what I want to do real quick? Because I, there's an exciting thing going on here. And I'm going to tease you a little bit before we get to our friends. Um, I sold a podcast ad at McDonald's the other day, on Monday. So we have three podcast ads this week. We sold a one-time sponsorship. That's always an option for anybody who wants to do a one-time sponsorship of Buckeye Talk. We have our two loyal season-long sponsors that we've uh, uh, loved having as part of Buckeye Talk this football season, but we are adding a third one now. So I want to make sure that I bring in shopohiostate.com because guess what? Wait, is People are getting excited. They're excited about, oh, they have like a thing on their, on their website right now for shopohiostate.com about game day. We know game day is going to be in Columbus on Saturday. Um, shopohiostate.com is excited about that, and they want you to come to their website to get everything you need for this game, for the holiday season. The spirit is in season. Free shipping on all your orders. Do your holiday shopping now at shopohiostate.com. Do sweatshirts. Do scarves. Do like uh, jogging pants, like uh, sweatpants, like around the house, cold in the winter. Put on some scarlet and gray uh, pajama pants or sweatpants. You can get some summer gear. Um, they have everything you want. Hats. Hats are good. People like hats. ShopOhioState.com. They have great Nike stuff. They have great premium brands, and they'll have some really good prices on there. But the, but the main thing I like about ShopOhioState.com is the high quality of the goods. I think sometimes one of my favorite 
places to go is a college bookstore. Because whatever the new, whatever the college is, where we go to a lot of campuses and everything, you walk in and it's just a wave of all this merchandise from this single school. And there's all so much cool stuff. And so if you can't get to the Barnes & Noble Ohio State University bookstore on 1598 North High Street in Columbus, you can have that experience of that wave of Ohio State clothing on your computer, on your phone. You go to shopohiostate.com, you start looking around, and I dare you. Here's my dare for the holiday season. If you like Ohio State, see if you can go to shopohiostate.com and not buy something. I bet you can't do it. There is so much good stuff. There will be something you want to get for yourself. Maybe a suggestion. Say, hey, someone get me this for Christmas, right? Or you want to buy it for a friend or a loved one. The number one place to find the best Ohio State gear, our first sponsor, our most loyal sponsor here at Buckeye Talk. Please go for all your holiday shopping to shopohiostate.com. All right, let's get back to some more questions. While we wait for Robert Smith to call. Listen, we, we haven't been hitting the Gmail questions as much because I'm dumb. Uh, but we've gotten some really good ones, and we're going to hit some of them now. Joshua Mustachio. Tremendous name. What if both Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes magically came back to life on Saturday? How would they feel that the loser of this game has a great shot at the Rose Bowl? Do you think Woody would die by halftime when he sees Haskins that has 20 throws and then also, if LSU is still ahead of Ohio State and Washington with two losses, why are they not ahead of Georgia that they beat by 20? Just wondering. Thanks. Love the pod from Josh Mustachio. Um, there was actually an interesting question asked by Rob Aller of the Columbus Dispatch this week. Along those lines, sort of along those lines about, like, what would Woody be like today? Could Woody get by today with his methods? And, like, obviously the answer is no. Like, you can't kick guys in the butt at practice. So, like, no. Woody Hayes would not fit in. Um, in the current climate of society, much less, much less just college football. And Urban Meyer said that, but he also said Woody Hayes would adapt. And I think great coaches take pride in that. We, you adapt to the times. You adapt to the conditions. You adapt to the changing game. Um, I don't think Woody could adapt to this. Like there is, there is an element of um, inherent toughness that I think that generation of coaches demanded, and I think they associated that with the run game. And the modern game in general with the way it's played, you guys watched Rams Chiefs Monday night. I mean, it's not like it's just Dwayne Haskins. Urban Meyer subscribes to that Woody Hayes idea of tough yards in the run game as much as any coach around, especially in the spread era. Urban is a run-first power spread. But he had to adapt to his personnel. But, I, I mean, the game, Stephen, it's, a, it's, a diff, it's barely the same sport. It's barely the same sport. So I don't... I can't imagine what Woody would say. I mean, Woody would say, if it beats Michigan, it's good for me. I'll take it. But it's, it's not even recognizable from what they were doing in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, no, for better and for worse, the game is in a different spot today. It's obviously more of an emphasis on offense than it is defense from that standpoint. I don't think either, especially Woody, hey, no, he would not be able to be a head coach in today's college football game. Like, he'd be out of here within, like, three weeks of training camp. I think that the fact that you had to put in there, what would he think of the fact that Haskins threw 20 passes in the first half, lets you know that you already know the answer to that question of whether or not Woody or Bo would be able to coach in today's society. The quarterback is the, is the most important element on the field now. We, saw, we literally saw that last night in a game where, where combined both NFL teams scored over 100 points. 
And Goff and Mahomes were literally the center points of that, even though the Rams have an MVP-level running back. But at the end of the day, it's about the pass first. And I think, I mean, that's okay. You know, I mean, there's inefficiencies. People look for inefficiency. The rules have shifted that way. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I, that's, that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. It's different. But I do think, I do think you can in this era. Um, you still obviously have to be tough to play this game. But I yeah. think also the game has been smart in trying to make some changes, make some rule adjustments to try to make it safer. You can only make it so safe. But they've tried to make it safer, and I think if you are the type of football person who associates toughness with running and defense and, and allows that to keep you from throwing the ball or keep you from doing the things that the modern rules encourage you to do, I think you're, you're lost a little bit. So, you've, you know, if Woody wanted to coach now, he'd have to change. He'd have to change, but um, it really is a different game, and I think we all know that. I think you can't just associate toughness with what's like – physical that's the thing like there's more to being tough than just like who the strongest person is you've got to be tough to go over the middle and jump up and make a catch you've got to be tough to pass block and to rush the passer and all that stuff so um the question about the rankings like here's the thing ohio state's ohio state's best win is out in front of it if ohio state beats michigan that will be so far and above its best win otherwise right now its best win is against penn state who's 15th in the rankings um nobody else that ohio state beat is in the rankings right now michigan state's not in tcu's not in there's you know purdue's not in they lost to purdue anyway but but there's no other the only the only three big 10 teams that are ranked are michigan ohio state and penn state so you can't get caught up too much in the moment because like lsu is ahead of ohio state now because they've already had the opportunity for some of these games. They had the opportunity to beat Georgia, which they did. They got smoked by Alabama. Um, But Ohio State's opportunity is out there. So I will guarantee you this. UCF and LSU, in the latest AP poll at least, and we'll have the Tuesday night uh, release of the college football playoff poll, I expect Ohio State to be about where they are 10th. I don't know if UCF will jump them in that one or not. Maybe they'll be ninth, but they'll still be behind LSU. They will be behind LSU right now in the playoff rankings, which are the only rankings that matter. But if they beat Michigan, they will move ahead of LSU. Guaranteed. You can't do anything with Ohio State until after Saturday. So it's like you can't get get too wound up about it. Um, You just have to realize that that their best win is still out there for them. Uh, Eric Bouchea, how many total, total turnovers do you guys predict on Saturday? And is there any special food that you would recommend for the game or would Thanksgiving leftovers suffice? That's Eric Bouchea on our Gmail question at BuckeyeTalkPod at Gmail. Um, I think, uh, and I wrote this at the beginning of the year, I'm not afraid of Dwayne Haskins' interceptions. And Dwayne Haskins is not afraid of Dwayne Haskins' interceptions. I asked Dwayne Haskins immediately after the Maryland game about his pick. What did he think coming back from that? And he was like, it was the right read for a story that you're going to see this week. I also talked to his personal quarterbacks coach this week, and and he said the same thing. It was the right read, and the guy made a play. Um, You can't be afraid of throwing over the middle. You can't shy away from that throw. I actually thought he did shy away from going over the middle a little bit after that throw. They can't put the ball on the ground. He put the ball on the ground running it. J.K. Dobbins had a fumble at the goal line that really, I mean, if they lose that game, that's a big problem. That would have been, that's seven points they didn't get. So I can, I will not be worried about Dwayne Haskins' interceptions. They can't put the ball on the ground. 
and actually Dwayne Haskins running more makes me a little nervous about him putting the ball on the ground because of all the things he's not that natural with running the ball. Part of it's holding on to it. But Weber put the ball on the ground a couple weeks ago. J.K. Dobbins put it on the ground by the goal line against Maryland. Those are the guys. That's their living, man. They can. if Fumbles by the tailbacks could make Ohio State lose the game against Michigan. I do not think interceptions by Dwayne Haskins, even a pick six. I think that's the cost of doing business when you're going to throw like he does. But I don't think that fumbles by the running backs have to be the cost of doing business in the run game. I also think that they're more likely to put the ball on the floor, on the ground, than Haskins is to throw an interception at this point. He's been, he, what, seven interceptions? It's not like it's been a huge problem. No, yeah, right? it hasn't. So, like, they're more likely to fumble the ball on Saturday than, they, than Haskins is to get an interception. And even if he gets one, he's not going to throw four in one game. And I don't think – I mean, this is, not, this is not an Ohio State secondary that scares people. This is not a Malik Hooker, Denzel Ward, Marshawn right. Lattimore secondary that you can rely on some interceptions. I think – I don't think there will be interceptions. And I think Shea Patterson is mobile enough. Um, I asked Draymond Jones today, does he does – he, when he gets pressured, does he run or does he run to throw? Draymond Jones said runs to throw. So I think if Chase Young and Draymond Jones get in the backfield, I think Shea Patterson's going to feel that and get away from that. So I think it will be more difficult for Ohio State to try to force some turnovers in this game. Um, but I think offensively against a really good defense, they can't be afraid of it, especially the interception. So if I'm predicting turnovers, maybe I'll say th- maybe I'll say three total, maybe like one yeah. by Michigan somehow, and I'll then like two, one. maybe one Ohio State fumble and one Ohio State pick. Yeah. But, I mean, it depends what kind of fumble it is, but they have been a little loose with the ball. K.J. Hill had the fumble the other week Mm -hmm. against Nebraska that really cost him. They've just been a little loose with it, and that's not normally their M.O., but that is absolutely the kind of thing that will kill you against Michigan. This is a great question. I want to get to this. Andrew Patterson on email. I'm wondering what the difference is between Oklahoma and Ohio State, that they're ranked four spots different. Is it just the expectation of the two teams? Is it, is it expected that Oklahoma gives up 500 yards and 50 points to 5-5 five and five Texas Tech, to Oklahoma State, to 3-8 and eight Kansas? Yet when Ohio State gives up those offensive numbers to those types of teams, we suck and are buried in the polls. Why is Oklahoma 6 and we are 10? Because that's Big 12 football. Like that's how that, If you watch Big that's how it is. They get these, these high-scoring football games where it's all offense and really no defense. Ohio State plays in a conference where you don't see 52 to 51 every single week from a Big Ten, like, football game. So, like, some of that is just the ex- what's expected to happen. But do you, think that affects, do you think that affects how the playoff committee votes? Do I you think, think he's on to – that that's the idea? It's, yeah. it's about expectation? Yeah. What, what are you expecting your team? If, you're, if o- o- Oklahoma is just doing what we expect Oklahoma to do – like, if, if Oklahoma was just giving up 40-plus points a game, but they weren't putting up 40-plus po- points per game themselves, then it'd be a problem. For Ohio State, it's kind of the other way around, where it's like, if Ohio State's in, like, the 30s, okay, your offense had a solid day. But if their defense is giving up 30-plus points, it's like, hey, what's going on? This is a Big Ten team who's giving up Big 12-type. Like, we let's just go back to the Monday Night Football game. Literally, people are going, are we watching an NFL game or are we watching a Big 12 game? I hope that's not it because I don't think that committee should go in there and say, well, 
you know, that's what you get in the Big 12, and that's what you get in the Big 10. Like, why should that be in their thinking? Is that legitimate that that, like, I guess there's there's a question of, like, what is and what should be. I don't think that should, I don't think that should factor in at all. Why is that acceptable to, like, have, like, sort of stereotype expectations of a conference affect how you judge an individual team versus another individual team. I think the same reason why there's an argument that a one-loss Big Ten team is better than a one-loss Big 12 team because the Big Ten conference is considered to be a better conference. Like, that matters. It sh- maybe, it, maybe it doesn't matter that as much as some other details, but it does matter. I think most of the reason that Ohio State is ranked four spots behind Oklahoma at the moment is the way they lost. I don't, and, and, and I think it's also that the Penn State win doesn't stand up as well as it once did. Neither of those teams has a great, great win, right? Because um, Oklahoma, the next, Oklahoma is ranked six. The next highest ranked, this is in the AP poll this week, the next highest ranked Big 12 team is Texas, which is Oklahoma's loss. The next highest ranked Big 12 team is West Virginia, which is who Oklahoma plays this week. They haven't played them yet. And then no other Big 12 team is ranked. No, Iowa State. So they beat Iowa State. They beat number 25. Ohio State beat number 15. They, only, they each only have one win over a ranked team. But Oklahoma's loss is by a point to Texas. Ohio State's loss is by 29 to a team that doesn't even have a winning record. So I think in that specific comparison, if you look at Oklahoma's last, let's look at their last three weeks. They won 51-46, 48-47, and 55-40, which is what the question was asked about. Um, At a time when Ohio State was only beat Nebraska by five, Struggled in the fourth quarter against Michigan State, beat Maryland in overtime by a point. Um, I think it is the lingering loss that is the biggest differentiation between the two. And I think I've been saying I'm going to write this. I don't know if I did. I can't write this. I can't remember anything. I, I've been relating. I have a whole thing. Nobody cares about my life. But, like, the idea of, like, why isn't, as a coach gets older, like, why isn't he exactly the same as he was like 10 years ago, I got an answer for you, man, because you get tired. I used to stay up until like 2 o'clock in the morning every night writing. I get to 11 o'clock at night now, and I'm fall- I am i can't keep my eyes open. And it's like this story has to be up at 6 a.m. And it's like I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. I can't write. So then I set my alarm, and I try to set my alarm to get up by like 7 and get the story done by 9. But if someone said to me, man, I remember back in the day when I woke up and I got on Cleveland.com in 2013 or 2014. There was a Doug Marie story at 6 a.m. every day. And I'd say, yeah, there was. They'd be like, man, why isn't there one of those now? And I'd say, because I'm old, man. It's a young man's game. I'm old. And Urban's older than me. So I don't know. Does that mean I should be fired because I just like to go to bed before midnight? Oh. I fall asleep on the couch, man. I mean, that's life. It means you have to adapt to like what your situation is. I'm trying, man. I don't, what was I talking about? So I was going to write this thing. I didn't write it. It's that Ohio State is Oklahoma. And I think the committee knows that. Ohio State's Oklahoma. And here's the thing. 
if you think like, why does Oklahoma get this unfair edge, right? The committee hates Oklahoma. They hate Big 12 defense. The committee is a bunch of old football people. They love balance. They love offense and defense. They love when you do both things well. They hate teams that are all offense and no defense. So I'm going to tell you that like Oklahoma is not like a get the benefit of the doubt team. You know who's a get a benefit of the doubt team? Ohio State. For real. That's exactly what they have been in the entire existence of the BCS and the playoff. They have gotten a lot of the benefit of the doubt. In 2015, like just didn't work to get that one loss team in because of the context. In 2017, they get the benefit of the doubt against almost everyone except Alabama. And that's who they lost out to, four versus five. They get a lot of the benefit of the doubt. Let's see if Oklahoma beats West Virginia and Ohio State beats Michigan. Let's see. Let's see a week from now. Ohio State gets it. Because I'm not so sure. Because we're going to have a ranking after that, before the championship games. If that's what we're talking about, and Oklahoma would then be playing Texas in a rematch and the Big 12 title game, and Ohio State would be going to play Northwestern. Let's see, because right now Oklahoma's 6 and Ohio State's 10, I think it's very possible that if Ohio State beats Michigan and Oklahoma beats West Virginia, Ohio State could be past them. And if they're not past them, they're not going to be four spots behind them. So I think it's mostly that loss, and I think it is, it is not a world where Oklahoma is suddenly a team even with the expectations, and I think the, the, the point there is right. There is a certain set of expectations. I don't think that's why they're that high. Uh, Chip Munn, I'll tell you, man, I'm, I read your email and I'm reading it now. He, he asked like five questions. I could just post your questions as a story. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I just mean. Just a quick side note. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N. E-N. Come on, Chip. It's not Stefan. No. We'll get to his first question. Do you believe it's important for a championship caliber team to be resilient and find a way to win when dealing with adversity? Uh, Chip says, yes. I think that gets overplayed a lot. I think it's a really good thing to say when like, you barely win a game that you yeah. probably shouldn't win, to be like, that builds character. We dealt with adversity. Yeah. I hate adversity because like everything gets lumped in with adversity. Like Someone has a hurt toe or like someone like there was a fumble that hit a guy in the helmet and like that's adversity and then like major life things that happen off the field that's adversity adversity too. Adversity is something you can't control that happens. I agree with that. Against you. You Ohio State this is not real adversity. Like they lost. Yeah, they lost. Yeah. <laughs> they lost the game. No, and I think that's an important thing. But is so do you believe and I think it happens maybe a lot in basketball but do you believe because it happens like in the NCAA tournament all yeah. the time. Like a team in the a, a one seed in the second round beats an eight on a last second shot, and then they go to the final four. Yeah, um, I think a lot of that sometimes it's more just chance than anything else. But do you believe that some? And you hear this talked about a lot in sports that you need to play some close games. Is there somehow? And actually, if you look at the close games, and I looked at this briefly, that Michigan played a tight one with Northwestern. Mm. Their other games have not been that tight. They lost to Notre Dame by a touchdown, and I think if the, that game had gone another 10 minutes, Michigan would have won. So they had those two tight ones. Ohio State's loss wasn't tight. Penn State was a tight win. win. Maryland was a tight win. Nebraska was kind of a tight win. TCU was dicey for a while. Mm-hmm. 
I guess is that somehow did that build character somehow for I Ohio State? I, I don't like. I don't like the build character thing. I think what it did was, as far as they know how to operate within that situation now. That's what it does. Whether you won or lost, you now know. If you lost, you know it didn't work, and you know you should have picked a different option. If you won, okay, that's something you can recall back on later on in the season when you're in that moment again. You know what to do in that moment. It didn't necessarily build character, but what it did is you learned a lesson from that. It, it's, here's an example. A parent tells a kid not to touch the stove. Kid goes, why not? Because I said so. What does a kid do as soon as the parent walks away They touch the stove? He burns his hand, goes, ow, what does the parent say? I told you not to touch the stove. Now what does the kid know? Don't touch the stove when it's on because you're going to burn your hand. Now let's put this in football ter- terms. You're in the end zone. Don't That's, touch Rondale Moore. He'll burn your hand. Yeah. So now you know, because of some things that have happened, not necessarily against Rondale Moore, but against other players, you know in this situation how to approach a player like a Rondale Moore because you've had that experience already. That's more what it is than it is building some type of character. It has nothing to do with, like, you know, whether or not you win or lose a football. A character is just how you act when someone's not looking, not looking in your direction. I think what it did, it builds more experience in those situations. I I do think the thing that I have always thought with Ohio State is um, I don't buy a lot of cliched sports garbage. I did think that over time, Ohio State actually did know how to win. And I have written about that. I wrote about it a couple – in 2016 when they won the overtime game at Wisconsin, they won – Crazy! They've won crazy games at Penn State. They've, they've had a lot of games where they've reached a breaking point um, against some really good teams. And like Ohio State did, I think, actually have a skill, a better actual skill of sort of figuring out in the moment what it takes. And I think part of that is I do think Ohio State guys, when you come to a place like this and the talent is this good, you always think you're going to win. Because yeah. you think, well, we're better than them. Like you – and, and, and maybe I'm not being fair, but like when they won that overtime game at Wisconsin a couple years ago and Wisconsin gets in that spot even at home, I think Wisconsin knows that like Ohio State still has more good players. You know, that this is kind of crazy that we're in it with these guys as opposed to Ohio State being like, man, we're going to take care of business now. They've been a great overtime team because they always had a good combination of run game um, and defense that worked really well in overtime. Now they're a different team now, and I they, like they proved to be actually a pretty bad overtime team, I thought, against Maryland. They wound up in a fourth and one that was a do-or-die play. They had a, a penalty right after that. They almost killed them, but they got it back right away because of a pass interference. And then as soon as Maryland touched the ball, the first play was a 24-yard run in Maryland's overtime. Actually, Ohio State played a terrible overtime. Yeah. So they're not that same overtime team, and that's more about the way, the way they're built schematically and with personnel. But I do think over time, and this is a roundabout way to get to this point that I think matters for this game, Ohio State's won a lot. There's a lot of guys on this roster who have won a lot. There's a lot of guys on this roster who have won tight games, who have won overtime games and fourth quarter games against good teams. Michigan does not have as many of those kind of wins against good teams. And if this is close in the fourth quarter, I do think Ohio State would have some kind of edge because those teenagers and 20-somethings on the field will have more experience in that situation than the Michigan guys. And what experience does is when you get into those situations, you're not 
cracking because you know exactly what to do. And I think that's what this is going to boil down to. If it does come down to that type of game, they've played in enough games and had success in enough games and failed a couple of times or had some just lucky moments like a Maryland quarterback just can't throw an accurate pass to save his life. They know what to do in those situations, I think, a little more than Michigan does just because of how some games have turned out for both teams. Will Bates sent a great email. I can't read it all, but he is making a point that we just discussed. And and Will said he actually worked for uh, Ohio State his senior year um, at Ohio State in 2005. He has a Big Ten championship ring from 2005. Uh, turning the tide on Michigan after the torture of the 90s meant everything to me, and the way this extremely conservative coach, Jim Tressel, and every other game somehow let everything hang loose against Michigan still amazes me. The perfect long con, I guess. We all know, and he's talking about when Jim Tressel got the job and talked about his famous initial speech at the basketball game about how you'll be proud yeah. of the way Ohio State performs at Michigan. He embraced that rivalry from, from the start, yeah. and he's getting into this point that we talked about, about when the rivalry turns, okay, um, He's thinking about if Trestle had not gotten that first win against Michigan when he started. And he's wondering, could there be more of an effect of this game? Are we looking at possibly a pivot point in the rivalry, which is basically Will's question here. Um, And that he's saying, might we look back on 2018 and the Meyer suspension or or Bosa leaving the team early and think that one of those was the moment the rivalry swung back in Michigan's favor. And I think it goes to your point, Stephen. You can't know it oh, until yeah, later. Yeah. You don't, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you know history's happening. Sometimes you don't know it yeah. until later. I, I just, and, and to reiterate, and thank you, Will, for that great email. We did read all of it ourselves. We just can't read it all on the podcast. I will just be... Boy, I'll be shocked, man. I will be shocked to see this swing back like that. And here's here's the only way that it could, I think. Um, if Urban Meyer continues to be the coach at Ohio State, he will do so with improved health. He will do so under a scenario where he has done something, I think, to medically address. This is me speculating based on some information that I know, but, but no one has told me specifically. And I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going to happen with Urban Meyer because I don't think, as I've said, I don't think Urban Meyer knows. But what you're seeing now, the sideline stuff, everything you're seeing now, that I do not think will be part of the 2019 Ohio State football season and, and part of Urban Meyer's life in 2019 because it can't be. So if he's back, I think things will have improved from a health standpoint. So now we enter the realm. So what would be a pivot point? The pivot point is, potentially, if you're thinking it could be one, is what, ha- what is happening with Urban Meyer ends his career as the Ohio State head coach. Jim Harbaugh is established at Michigan. He gets his first win this year. He's not going anywhere. He turns down NFL overtures. He's locked in. He believes he can win and win at the highest level at Michigan. The recruiting gets rolling to an even greater extent, although it already is. And Ohio State hires the wrong guy. And all of a sudden, just like you had Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke at Michigan, Rich Rodriguez was a very good coach before he got to Michigan. He was a terrible coach at Michigan. He was a terrible fit at Michigan. It was a terrible hire. We wrote a series a couple years ago about Ohio State being indestructible. Ohio State has weathered the storm. They have never gone through the extended lull that Michigan with Rodriguez and Hoke 
or Alabama before Nick Saban, or USC, or all these other programs. They've all had not one bad year, but extended lulls. Most of those lulls come from hiring the wrong guy. So if you're talking about a pivot point, you're talking about the end of the Urban Meyer era and hiring the wrong guy. But Steve, I mean, we don't know. I think that's worst case scenario. But, is yeah, that, I, right. It is, absolutely. It's like them hire. I think Gene Smith has done a, a wonderful job of hiring coaches here. He hasn't hired a ton. But the ones he has, even outside of just, uh, like in other sports, they've yep. had, you see Chris Holtman right now is in his second year. And Chris, they looks amazing. Chris Holtman, and, and that is the, I, I think in a weird way, it doesn't hang over it. But, well, maybe it does hang over it. I think the Chris Holtman hire is, is something to look at in this whole Urban Meyer situation. Because, again, Thad Mata was a basketball coach who was very successful, right. had some health issues. Gene got rid of Fadmata in kind of a weird way that I criticized him for, other people criticized him for, the way he handled it. You weren't sure about Chris Holtman. Could he recruit at this level? But look at it. Yeah. What would you grade the Chris Holtman hire as? I, at this point, that's an A. So now you think, okay. He hasn't like, lost 10 games yet. I don't think, I don't think Gene Smith would be uh, panicked about an Urban Meyer departure because I think Gene Smith would believe two things. A, good people will want this job, right. and B, with Chris Holtman as recent proof, I'll pick the right guy. And it's also, I think, let's just be honest here, Ohio State ruled out of that trestle situation the best possible way. Miracle I mean, dropped from the sky. Literally. Like, they hit a home run, knock, grand slam, knock it out the park. Literally with only one year of, like, a fallback. Yep. I don't know if, like, that would happen again where they're going to get a guy where, like, oh, you're automatically – You're just not going to just jump right back into the championship race. But I also don't think they're going to go how Michigan went where they're all of a sudden under 500 for some seasons. Well, but, but the question is – but they, I, what I'm saying is won't happen is there's not an Urban no. Meyer hire out there. The only Urban Meyer hire out there is Bob Stoops as, like, an established guy right. with a national championship ring who doesn't have a job right now. But that's not – they wouldn't go that way. No. Um, and when Urban Meyer was hired with the NCAA stuff, it was a more tenuous situation. Urban Meyer was the one and only candidate, and again, it's a miracle that he was there. This is now – this would be a really good job that would draw really good people. And if you get Matt Campbell, if you keep Ryan Day, if you hire somebody else, um, Dino Babers, or uh, – there's, there's a bunch of good coaches out there. Um, I don't think you would have to be panicked about a miss. What happened – at Michigan was a president and athletic director, a structure there where they went outside what a lot of people wanted them to do. I think you have to be smart. You have to satisfy your donors and your boosters. By the way, I heard this. My friend sent this the other day. Um, he said he was listening to like a BTN broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and some students were doing the game somehow, like a BTN plus or something. And someone was talking about the donors and the boosters and – it was like the, the play-by-play guy was talking about, oh, the, the donors and the boosters did this. And the, uh, like the color guy said, yes, thank you to the boners instead of uh, donors that and boosters. That sounds like some students. One time when I was a student, radio broadcast. You ever do any student radio, or I Stephen? Did. I did. Yeah? How were you? I was better at radio. I did play-by-play color commentary one time, and I pretty much like, was describing a basketball player, and I started off with, look at that body. Yeah, okay, we've all been there. Look yeah. at that body. And it sounded better in my head than it did when I actually said it. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one time I was doing a college softball game, 
That's how dedicated our radio station was. We did college softball. And uh, there was a pop foul, and the catcher jumped up to go chase the ball. Mm. Uh, and I said, and the catcher jumps out of her crotch. Excuse me, I mean her crotch. And I said crotch twice instead of oh, crouch. Wow. Instead of crouch. The word is crouch. A catcher right. crouches yeah, yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I said crotch. You messed up. That's worse than mine. And then I said it twice. Yeah. I said it twice. I also, when I did, uh, when I did uh, basketball on the radio in college, uh, whenever a guy made a three-pointer, I would say, Hello! You tried to have like a thing. It was awful. It got really old yeah, really fast. Uh-uh. You tried. Kind of like this podcast. Um, hey, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm so freaking excited for this. Stay with me on this. It's awesome. So we're sitting at McDonald's, and a young entrepreneur is at McDonald's, using McDonald's as his office, just the way we use McDonald's as our office. And we get to talking, and this young entrepreneur has a product for Buckeye Talk. And this product is something you need for this game. It's my man, Samto, who is still a student at Ohio State, and he has started our parking space. If you are coming to Ohio State, Michigan, you need to get a parking space with this man's website. You buy it now, and when you get down here, you do not have to worry. You purchase it ahead of time. You know it will be safe. It is secured. You pay with your credit card, and you don't have to be driving around like a maniac trying to find somewhere to park for this giant, important game that's going to be one of the best experiences of your life. Don't ruin it by getting in a fight over parking. Go to ourparking.space. That is the website, ourparking.space. You can also check them out on their Facebook page at Our Parking Space. But you go right to the website, and when you go to it, you click on Ohio State Michigan football. There's a picture of an Ohio State Michigan guy right on the front page of the website. You click on that, and these options come up for where to park near Ohio Stadium. You pick which lot you want. It shows you how many spots are left in that lot. You click on the box. You put in your credit card information. You get a code. Okay, That code in your phone, you show that when you get to the parking lot and you're in, and that's it. It's simple, it's easy, it's smooth. It's a young entrepreneur making his way in the world and serving you and taking trouble out of your Ohio State Michigan experience. Again, the text message, after you pay, the text message comes right to your phone to explain all this to you. The message will give you the location of the parking lot, a booking number, the address, everything you need. You show that at the lot and it's taken care of. That's it. This is ourparking.space. Anytime you come to Columbus, to anything on Ohio State's campus, at Ohio Stadium, at the Schottenstein Center, a basketball game, a concert, anything happening down there, and you're worried about parking, ourparking.space is the place for you. He works at McDonald's just like us. He's starting this business. He's a smart guy with an idea that can help you out as somebody maybe coming from outside Columbus to get to an Ohio State event on campus, ourparking.space. Let them take the hassle out of your Ohio State experience. Again, ourparking.space. Make them your place to go for parking whenever you visit Ohio State. Ourparking.space. Thanks to Samto for giving us money at McDonald's. You saw me work that deal. I did. Did I work it or what? I was proud of you. I'm a businessman.
Not really. I'm barely a journalist. All right, what else are we doing? Uh, Gmail questions. Uh, oh, this is a good question about the future. Jeffrey Kisner on Gmail. I wrote an article uh, earlier last week about how most of your questions about Ohio State are related to the roster and the fact that they don't have many seniors. The 15 and 16 classes were a step short in talent. They had some injuries, a couple of recruiting misses. And this 2017 guys, the current second-year players, have not contributed as much as I thought they would be going into the year. But when you look in the future, the 2018 and 2017 classes were both ranked number two in the country. They're the current sophomores and freshmen. The future is bright. They just hit a little bump. Do you guys think that a silver lining that could be taken from the Ohio State-Maryland game is that Ohio State's young players seem to keep fighting and don't quit mentally? It seems to me that the cake is baked on this season, but seeing this team, seeing that this team is going to rely on freshmen and sophomores in the present and future, it seems like it should give you hope that the product can and will improve for them next year. Sorry if this is a dumb question. I'll try to do better next time. Keep up the great work. From Jeffrey Kisner, certainly not a dumb question because I think a lot of people are wondering, they're looking at this season and wondering about the future, but what, what do you think it does when you look at J.K. Dobbins, who I think has had frustrations at times, but then has bounced back from them? When you look at Jeffrey Okuda, who had some injuries this year but came back from them. When you look at Chase Young, who saw Nick Bosa leave, and now all of a sudden Chase Young's getting all the attention. Those sophomores in particular, again, there's a lot of talented guys. Isaiah Pryor, Sean Wade, Brendan White, all these possible answers at, at safety, all second-year guys. What do you think the effect of this season, the, some of these games in this season, will have on them in the future? Well, first of all, Jeffrey, I'm going to take that whole the cake is baked thing and use it somewhere. I don't know where, but it'll get used. I think that a lot of things happened this year for that class that they didn't expect to happen. I've, outside of J.K. Dobbins, I think was the one guy where he knew his role was going to be increased ridiculously amount and he just didn't step up for whatever those reasons were he kind of took a step back this year I think he was so good as a freshman that we had these sky high expectations for him yep that may have been unrealistic for a guy who's 19 20 years old I think he gets back to that level that we thought he could get at next season and the same thing with Chase Young especially his role I think his role on that defense really shifted after Nick Bosa left because, yeah, he was expected to get plans. But I think once Nick Bosa left, everybody's attention shifted to him in a way that I don't think he expected to happen until next season when Nick Bosa was no longer here. And the same thing with a lot of Brendan White wasn't playing the start of the season. And then he, for whatever reason, I don't know what that was, what the reason was or wasn't, but he steps in and he plays well for the first two weeks. And then last week he just didn't have a, as good of a week as he had in the previous year. So I think with a lot of these guys, when they're getting their first opportunity, it looks amazing because they're new on the field and you don't really have as much to, to you know, on the scout report about them. But guys are starting to figure them out a little bit. It's They've had their slide that you expect guys who are really in their first – a lot of these guys are in their first year really getting a lot of time, so they're having a bit of a slide. I think – all of these guys are going to come back a lot better next year than they are right now. So it's one of those things where it's like you take, you can take like whatever is happening and find the silver lining in that, right? And yeah. so like when they're good, it's like, oh, these young guys, if you're a young guy and you're part of a winning team, like for instance, I think it's kind of interesting. I don't think it rises to the level of a story this week, but this is it. Other than Urban, basically, um, and Larry Johnson, this is it for the national champions. 
the fifth-year guys on this team are the guys who were redshirting yeah. in 2014. So um, Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and Demetrius Knox, those guys were here in 2014 and part of this. They watched what a championship team looks like. They then could play in 15, 16, 17, 18, and 14. They were absorbing. They were practicing. They were the scout team for a team that lost early and fought all the way back and then beat Alabama and won the national championship. They absorbed all of that stuff. So, it, like, what would you say? you say that's a negative? No. no. Of course that's a positive. So I don't like to believe in a thing where you take whatever the situation is and you say, well, that's positive. I think both of the, both ways are great ways to learn. Paris Campbell, McLaurin, all those guys, they got a chance to learn by watching. They did. These guys now, the Brendan Whites, the J.K. Dobbins, the Chase Youngs, the Okudas, those guys are learning by actually playing. Neither one is a negative. It's just two different ways of learning where with one, there's not going to be as many mistakes because they'll be older by the time they get on the field. With the other, you got to live with some of these mistakes right now that they're making as freshmen and sophomores so that when they're juniors and seniors, they're not making those same mistakes because they made them as freshmen and sophomores. And the one thing that I think of, of any season, I feel like this season has reminded me of 2015 the most in terms of they keep winning, but every time they win, it's kind of like, ah, like what's wrong with them yeah. within a win? That happened almost every week in 2015. The difference was in 2015, there was no doubt about the talent. That was everyone back from a national championship team, and you saw what those guys are doing in the NFL. Yeah. So when you think, I mean, it's unbelievable to think about how good that team was, but they didn't look great. That was all a coaching issue. It was quarterback stuff, new offensive coordinators, and maybe like championship hangover stuff. But that was not talent at all. This, as they're not looking great, there's certainly a component of this that's talent, for sure. Yeah. But I will tell you this, and this is what I remember. And my first year on the beat was 2005. I often reference the step-back year. Love talking about step-back years. Last time Ohio State had them was 2004. They lose three Big Ten games in 2004. And in 2005, or did they lose four? They were eight and four that year. In 2005, all I those guys every week, it was my first year covering the team, but every week they were talking about how ticked off they were about how bad things went the year before. Now, they actually lost those games. They yeah. lost to Northwestern. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Purdue. They actually lost. These guys haven't actually lost, but sometimes if, you, if these sophomores, and I thought these sophomores were going to bring it now, and they kind of haven't as much as I thought, if these sophomores feel like, man, this is not right. We shouldn't go through a season with this kind of feeling. Like, what's wrong with us? Why aren't we the team we can be? That can be a very motivating force because in 2005, the 2005 team, the 2006 team, those seeds were planted in 2004. And they grew in 2005 and then blossomed in 2006. It was all those same guys. So if these young sophomores now, if they're ticked, and there are reasons to be ticked, even at 10 and 1, again, micro, macro. They can macro. Fans and media, we can go micro. Players can go macro to say, hey, we're 10-1. What are you complaining about? But they also go micro at times. In the offseason, yeah. During the season, you got to stay in the macro. But in the offseason, when you look back on some of these games, you're going to go, yeah, we won, but probably shouldn't have won this but game. But they're also getting yelled at at film sessions. Yeah. They, they, their coaches are saying, you missed this block. Yeah. Why did we let this Maryland guy run for two 75-yard touchdowns? They will have something that 
if a year doesn't go great when you're young, when you're older, you say, I'm not going to let that happen. And I think maybe there are some sophomores who, when they're juniors and seniors, I think it's possible that there will be things that we're talking about and writing about, things they're feeling in 2019 and 2020 that will reference a 2018 season that was good but not great, that was frustrating at times, and they made a decision. We don't want to have that happen again. So I think, again, I don't want to make it be that whatever happens has a silver lining, but I think Robert's point, you're making a, a pretty interesting point there um, with some of this stuff. Uh, I want to get to this one, and then we'll get to some more Twitter questions. But I, I've been neglecting the Gmail people. Again, you guys can Gmail us at BuckeyeTalkPod at Gmail. Um, I, missed, I missed a few of them. Ooh, there's one that's criticizing me. I'll get to that one too. But I want to get to this one. Josiah Henry. Hello, Doug and Steven. Big fan and frequent listener and reader of your guys' work. Here's my question for Buckeye Talk. When Chris Ash was hired, he implemented a simplified defensive scheme with an emphasis on rugby-style gang tackling. My understanding was that he simplified the scheme so the players could focus on playing instinctually and not overthink. One area that Warner has been praised by Harbaugh is he simplified the scheme so players can just play. Is a problem with the Buckeyes this year on both sides of the ball, but in particular on defense that are overcomplicated schemes require them to think too much yes. and is not allowing them to just go play. Steven had his answer before we got to the end of the email. Yes. Thanks to both of you for keeping us informed and entertained. Go Bucks! <laughs> God, yes. Seems like it's it, doesn't it? 100% yes. Chase Young said after the Maryland game that what changed in the second half, and again, they went from average from giving up 11.6 yards per play to giving up six per play. It's not that, like they shut down Maryland in the second half. Right. And actually, I quibble with it to some extent because <clears throat> as bad as that 17-3 hole was for them that they dug with allowing those big plays, they let, and I wrote this if you read my story off the game, they let Maryland march every time they got the ball in the fourth quarter. They didn't stop Maryland for a second in the fourth quarter. Ohio State would tie it. Maryland went back ahead. Ohio State tied it. Maryland went back ahead. Ohio State tied it, ready to force overtime. Maryland gets the ball back. There's a 30-yard completion on the first play to give them life. Then they get a sack so they can't kiss a field goal, kick a field goal. Ohio State scores first in overtime. Maryland goes 24 yards in the first play of overtime. That defense didn't stop Maryland from doing anything in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. Complete failure. However, they did some better things in the third quarter, and Chase Young said in the second half they played base. They stopped doing as much fancy stuff. And I do think now often, whenever an offense loses, the offensive line wants to run the ball the next week. Whenever a defense loses, the defense wants to simplify things. Yeah. When the Browns lost at the Steelers and Hugh Jackson got fired the next day, that Sunday in the locker room, Miles Garrett said, we're doing too much complicated stuff. We should simplify it. Every football, every defensive player, when things go wrong, and they got smoked by the Steelers, when things go wrong, every defensive player wants to simplify because they just want to go get the ball. So that the idea to simplify, I, I think, can be oversimplistic. However, I do think that is some component of this because Stephen – when, they, when Maryland lines up and runs 80-whatever yards on the first play and there's nobody there to tackle a guy, something's happening where players are not understanding what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to be, and the result is an 80-yard touchdown. And that's a combination of that 
And also the simple fact that Maryland ran a lot of stuff that went exactly at the weaknesses that that scheme presented. Literally on the first one, no, not the first one, the second one when McFarland ran for 75 yards, uh, I watched Brendan White miss that tackle because he was already up on the, on the line of scrimmage. So basically in that situation, what I saw was either White gets that tackle or he's going to the house. Those were the options there. And that was the option on the first one as well. Either the safety gets that tackle or the running back's going to the house. And in both situations, the safety missed the tackle and the running back went to the house. And if that's the case, and it seems like Brendan White's not the first safety to be in that position where if the safety doesn't get that tackle, well, the running back's going to the house. And one safety makes that mistake, it's on the player. It's the player's fault for not making that tackle. But if you have multiple people playing in that same exact position and each one of them is missing that tackle, that's no longer a player thing. That's now a coach scheme problem. And that when you overdo things, sometimes you can sit around and overthink about things. And I think that's exactly what's going on. These coaches are overthinking things. And Maryland took full advantage of that. I don't love NFL coaches in college. And that's why. And it bothered me. It was it set me off on the wrong foot with Bill Davis from the start. Um, that when he got here, the linebackers were talking about that he treated them like NFL guys. And they're not. No. First of all, they're not millionaires. Second of all, they're not adults. Third of all, they have to go to class. And you can not come in here and treat college players and treat college schemes like you're in the NFL. Their linebackers coach is a 20-something, 24-year veteran of the NFL who had not coached in college until his best friend hired him here. Go back to the NFL. He's not the right guy for this. Greg Schiano was very successful at Rutgers. He was in the NFL before he came here. I think there are some things, whether it's overcomplicated, whether it's things that worked 10 years ago at Rutgers, I think there are legitimate questions there that should be asked, and I think there is a disconnect overall. First-year coach at safeties, first-year coach at corners, second-year coach at linebackers, Greg Schiano running the defense. I think there's some disconnect, and if you're going to be complicated, you better be together. You better all be locked in on the same page if you're going to be complicated. That's staff and players. Because as soon as you have disconnect, if, you're, if you have disconnect, but it's like, you know what? We're in a 4-3. Fill your gap and tackle the guy. Cover the guy that's in front of you. Don't let the ball go over your head as safety. It's like, you know, you, you're never going to be in a position where you don't know what to do. I do think that, and I know this for a fact, former players, people smarter than us, I think I've heard talk and comments from former players and that kind of thing about guys not knowing what to do and guys being out of position. And you were talking about the Josh Perry email after the game and that yeah. kind of thing. There's stuff like that. Again, it's not – yes, there have been missed tackles, but there has been more discussion about guys not being in the right gaps. And when you talk about the Michigan defense – I think you talk a lot about run fit. You talk a lot about being sound in gaps. I don't think they do the kind of stuff that Ohio State does all the time. Like, what are they doing? Why is there nobody in that area? Yeah. I don't think Michigan does that 
at all. Why are there two people running towards the same gap while this other gap is wide open? And, and like you said, your point, if, if multiple players are doing it, can't be the players. The exact same way? No. Can't be the players. No. We love the Gmail questions, really good Gmail questions. We appreciate you guys sending them in. Um, we'll try to get – oh, here's the one. Buckeye negativity. Andrew Patterson, since the Purdue loss, you've been way too negative on the team, especially compared to how positive you were before the Purdue game. You said in October the team was one of the top four in the country. I heard Joel Klatt say he thought we were playing our best football in November and trending up. So I wonder, do you think how the defense is playing now and the emphasis on the run game gives us a better shot at winning a national title than when the defense was bust, as you say, Doug, and the offense was Haskins throwing for 500 yards? If we are not a top four team like you had us in October, what changed besides Haskins not chucking it for 500 a game? Um, what changed for me is the belief that the defense would get better and that while I thought Dwayne Haskins uh, could solve all their problems, um, I wasn't worried about the run game because I thought, you know what, you have to let Dwayne Haskins be Dwayne Haskins. But I also thought at some point they would not, not give up 50 to Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think they would give up 49 to Purdue. Um, Michigan State's offense was awful. It almost doesn't count. Um, Adrian Martinez did some things to them in the Nebraska game. Um, but that Maryland thing, I just thought that Maryland game, week 11, I'm just, I think it's fair to anticipate improvement. I don't think that's a bad way to, like, in general, sort of look at a football team. There's a problem now, but they're good. I think it'll get better. And the fact that, like, it didn't get better, it got worse. That Maryland performance, again, it's the big hits early in a fourth quarter where they did not stop them once. Two things happened for them to win that game. One, Haskins saved them. Yes. Two, Maryland's quarterback cannot throw an accurate pass to save his life because Ohio State didn't get a stop on that two-point conversion. He just didn't throw the ball anywhere near the receiver. I also think Maryland did have an illegal die downfield because, like, a lineman got down uh, down the field and, like, blocked Jordan Fuller on yeah. a pass, which isn't allowed. But uh, I don't think – they didn't call that. No. And the dude was wide open. Yeah. So, and <laughs> under the circumstances of how things were called, he's wide open and he just missed him. That's the difference between that and then somebody getting a stop. So, so I think the two things that happened – there's two things that happened. And, Andrew, it's a good question. It wasn't as negative – Buckeye negativity was the headline of the thing, and I thought it was going to be like an attack on me, which I'm up for. Um, it wasn't that, but it's general negativity. And I think the two things that happened for me and why I switched is I thought the defense would get better, and it didn't. And the second thing is my belief about like not worrying about the run game, and they'll be fine, and they can throw it, and you know what? This is the way you got to do it. The way... The way the offensive players themselves reacted to the Purdue loss and the public frustration with the RPOs and the, the, the palpable frustration by J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber, especially the offensive line, that I was not aware of that. I was not aware that like this scheme, what they were trying to do, was driving their own players nuts. And so that I thought was a problem. Then clearly they changed. They got away from it. But it's been a late-season adjustment that they're still searching for it. So I thought that Dwayne Haskins would be able to be an answer to almost everything, not realizing at the time when I was saying that that like Isaiah Prince was ready to punch a wall because he felt like the run game couldn't be the run game with the things they were calling. So it was that realization. And then, again, I just don't – you can't dismiss giving up 45 in regulation to Maryland in, in Week 11. No. 
I mean, there, there's, there's no explanation for it other than poor performance. And I mean, Urban Meyer said the word alarming like 20 times in the past two weeks. Um, and that's the thing here. It's like, I know if, if you think we're negative, I promise you, I promise you the stuff we're saying is no different than the stuff these guys are saying in their meeting rooms. We are not being more critical of them than they are being of themselves. And we're saying it in a PG manner. They're going to come. We, we could do, we should do one R-rated Buckeye talk where we just come in oh, and, and just <laughs> let it all out. We'll give a warning beforehand. No if, kids on this one. If, if they lose to Michigan, then like. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That would be the amazing. The post-game F-bomb Michigan podcast. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do it. Next week, midweek, because if they lose to Michigan, they won't be going to the Big Ten title game. Yeah. And, and we'll call it like, this could have been the effing Big Ten title game podcast. Right. <laughs> um, so that's the, that's the thing, and I think, it's, I think it's legitimate, and I think they know it. And they don't want to hear it. It's like, Urban Meyer, it's like Urban Meyer knows it. When he gets mad a lot of the times, because talking, Mike, again, it's, it's changed your life. It, it's what Steven said about micro-macro changed your life. Listen to the podcast. You know 100%. it. It changed your life. Urban Meyer is micro, 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 micro every minute. That's oh, why yeah. he looks like he wants to go. He's going crazy on the yeah. sideline because he's so micro. So when he's during the week, he's micro, 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 micro. He's in there on his coaches. He's on players. Micro, micro. Then he comes out to us. He tries to be macro. And, and we're, ma- we're micro. Yeah. And then he's like, macro, macro. And we're like, micro, micro, micro. And he's like, macro, macro. I get the, mac- the micro, but macro, macro. And it's killing him. And then he goes back in the room and goes, micro, 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 yeah. micro. So, so he's not mad at us because we're wrong. He's, he's not really mad at us. But if he ever gets frustrated, I don't think it's because we're wrong. It's because we're right. But he doesn't need to hear it from a bunch of yahoos like us. Yeah. He's watching the film. He yeah. knows the deal. They gave oh, him yeah. 45 in regulation oh, to yeah. Maryland. Oh, yeah. It took him one play that pretty much almost tied the game up. Yeah. I mean, that's a, he knows the guy was open on the two-point conversion. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> so, like, we, he gets it. So, just so you know, like, we're, we're all on the same page oh, yeah. here. We're all playing the game. Um. By the way, I've gotten multiple emails, multiple tweets about this. Our app was not working. And I know a lot of good – I found out exactly how many people use the app because it stopped working and people were like, why is the app not working? Yeah. And it made me think, wow, I'm glad people use the app. And then it made me think, God, why isn't our app freaking working? So I complained, I don't know, like eight times. Um, and we finally got sent out the chain of command all the way to the, to the top of the IT department, MrCleveland.com himself – and it's working again. Try the app. It's right there on your phone. It's all the Ohio State stuff we write, everything Stephen writes, everything I write, football, basketball. It's there on the app. If you haven't used the app before, try it. If you have used the app before and you want to murder us because we haven't had a story in the app for 13 days, they are back. Sorry. We switched platforms internally on the things the, the, the platform we use to write our stories it didn't change how our stories look, but in that process, some wires got crossed, and we were not getting the stories from the new platform on the app. They were going to the website, but not to the app. So go now to the Apple Store or wherever or whatever store you need on your uh, phone. Look up the Cleveland.com Ohio State football app, and there's a whole bunch of stuff flowing in there. As Stephen Means would say, look at that body. Uh, I'm never going to. Dan Ryback, 
And then we'll get back to the Twitter questions. Man, you guys are bringing it on the email. Love you, email guys. Sorry we haven't gotten to you before. If you send an email before and like you're like, how come you're reading the emails now? Uh, enjoy the emailness of this podcast if, if I'm not getting your email. Will next year's team be better than this year's team? Will Haskins stay? Could Tate Martell pass well enough to feed all the guys who are going to be back? Or will they get frustrated by an offense reverting back to all RPOs? Uh, or could Matthew Baldwin beat Tate Martell out? Will DeMario finally get his chance, or does Jalen Gill beat him out? Will Rucker be throwing the ball or just block like Farrell does? A lot to discuss. I like. I love this. Like We can't do a ton of this Michigan week because this is what we're going to do for like the next six months yeah. as soon as they stop playing games. They're going to have some changeover in the receiver room that's going to be very interesting. I My prediction was that Ben Victor and Austin Mack are both back. My prediction was that K.J. Hill is not back. I think there's a world where you see Garrett Wilson as a freshman, maybe. I think you see much more from Mack and Victor. I think you see more Jalen Harris. I think you see more Chris Olave. Um, I think you see Farrell's done pretty well blocking. Rashad Berry can be back. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know that Ruckert's going to explode right away. They're very high on him as a pass catcher. Um, I think it's going to be Dobbins' game. I'll be shocked if Weber comes back. Weber's not coming back for a fifth year. He, yeah, we were surprised he came back for a fourth year. So it'll be J.K. Dobbins. Um, and then if, if Demario McCall is truly a running back, and now it's like a Dobbins-McCall thing because we thought McCall was going to be an H-back, but if he's a running back and that allows you to play maybe K.J. Hill and Jalen Gill at H, listen, there's always more talent in the pipeline. The bottom line is I think Tate Martell would beat out Matthew Baldwin. Matthew Baldwin can sling it. Our friend Tim May from the Columbus Dispatch was saying today, Matthew Baldwin can sling it. Bill Landis has been a big Matthew Baldwin fan. I'm more skeptical. This kid was a late recruit. He was committed to Colorado State. I mean, the idea that Ryan Day went to Texas and stole Colorado State's quarterback commit, and he's going to be this jewel, I'm a little skeptical about. If he was so great, why was he committed to Colorado State? It's nothing against Matthew Baldwin. And if Matthew Baldwin's family is listening, use it as motivation. I'm just not, like, buying in right away. I'm like, well, he was ranked in the whatever in the ratings, but actually he's he's much better than that because he's at Ohio State. I think that's Tate's job to lose. I, I mean, I would be very surprised. I don't know what would have to happen for Tate to not win it. And if Tate wins it, they go back to a Tate Martell, J.K. Dobbins run game that looks very familiar Looks like the Braxton Miller, JT Barrett run game of old. It's the old Buckeyes. They have won that way many times before. I think the defense can be better. They have a lot of good young linebackers, a lot of good, really, a lot of young defensive linemen, a lot of young defensive tackles. Draymond will be a big loss. Um, but Chase Young with another year. Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, Teron Vincent, some of these guys inside. Tyreek Smith as a sophomore getting more play at defensive end. They're, they're going to have some guys. Um, I think they need to do some switching around a corner. I'm not sure that both Arnett and Sheffield will be back. Um, they, they have some really athletic guys there. There's going to be change. and I've, but, but as we've talked about with these 17 and 18 guys, I think the change will bring a lot of uh, hope. Um, and I, and I, would not, I would not be afraid of that. We'll have plenty of time to get to it. But if I was an Ohio State fan, I would not fear the future. Even if it doesn't include Dwayne Haskins, I would not fear the future because I think there's a lot of interesting things that can happen there. A lot of interesting things can also happen at MinutemanTickets.com. They're our friends, and if you need tickets, that's where you go. If you need parking, our parking.space can help you park. If you need tickets, MinutemanTickets.com will set you up. Peace of mind. When you're making the big outlay, you're spending the dough. You can't spend that kind of money 
and be worried about is this going to work. MinutemanTickets.com takes away the worry. They're a local company. These are local guys. We've met them. We know them. They're trustworthy. They care about your product. They want you to have a good experience. They stand behind it. This is how you have to buy tickets these days. You've got to buy tickets secondhand on a market, right? So if you're going to do that and you know you're going to, whether it's for concerts or theater or sporting events, you know in the year 2019, maybe you're buying tickets for the holidays, you know you're going to be making these online ticket purchases. So if you're going to do that for a gift, for yourself, for the peace of mind, go to MinutemanTickets.com. Whether it's a big outlay for the Michigan game this week, once-in-a-lifetime experience, if you've never been to an Ohio State-Michigan game, you should try to go. Try to go sometime in your life. MinutemanTickets.com can get you there. If you want to go to an Ohio State basketball game, Stephen Means is very high on the Buckeyes. They've played well so far. Looks like they could play at the top of the Big Ten. Don't you want to go watch these guys? MinutemanTickets.com can get you there. You want to go to a concert in Columbus? MinutemanTickets.com. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. More Twitter questions. My voice hurts sometimes from all the talking. Sometimes my sides hurt. Like, should talking be like I have side stitches? Should talking be that much of a physical activity or am I doing it wrong? That sounds like an old man problem. I have so many old man problems. It is unbelievable. I used to be so young and vivacious, and I am just old and cranky. Vivacious. God, I was vivacious. I was vivacious as a mofo. Oh, my God. Um, G. Nilly. G. Nilly asked like 30 questions. G. Nilly should host his own podcast. His questions are so good. G. Nilly 97. How devastating would it be for Michigan and Jim Harbaugh to lose this game? Do you think they start to feel that pressure if the game is tight in the second half? <clears throat> I think there's something to this. Sometimes I write a story, and then like I'm trying to find it a couple of years later. I could not find it. Because I definitely wrote a story in 2016 that was along the lines of, if Jim Harbaugh wants to beat Ohio State, this is the year. They were really veteran that year. That, they had a lot of guys taken in the draft. They had like five guys taken in the uh, first three rounds off that defense, the next draft. Jabril Peppers, yeah. Jordan Lewis, um, really good. They had a couple receivers that went in third round. They were, really, they were actually really good in 2016. But that was like the remnants of Hope recruiting. Um, this is now Harbaugh recruiting. In year four, the guys who are making a difference now, this is Harbaugh recruiting. So... He had a good enough team to beat him in 16, and he almost did. I think this team's better. Last year was a step-back year for them. And again, we're talking about step-back years. They lost four games, but you have to realize you can't be good every year. They were so young because they lost so many guys from the year before. So, hey, Adam Jardy, come on in. Adam Jardy, host of a, a basketball podcast with the Columbus Dispatch that you should listen to. We are in the basketball media room. The game starts at 7, is that right? It does start at 7. It starts at 7. It's 5.15 right now. We got like another half hour on the podcast, um, and we just take places over. That's kind of what I do, right? It's kind of like a bad habit I have. God, my side. Uh, Steven, will you rub my side while I talk? I will not do that. Um, Ever. What, what did I walk into? What did you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you walked into Buckeye talk. Yeah, no. That will never happen. So, so the question is, I do think, I do think there is some whatever that Michigan feels, I mean, it's obvious. This is their year. This is their year. Now, we also think maybe it's going to get to the point, well, it's their year every year. 
that if you're going to get to the point where every year is a toss-up, then you don't have to be freaked out, oh, we didn't beat them this year. But they're 0-3. The worst record in the rivalry ever is 0-4. Urban Meyer has the best record ever in the rivalry at 6-0. Like, I do think there's something that Michigan should feel. We're the better team. We should win. We haven't won. This is our year. And you know what? If you get to the fourth quarter on the road and you're not winning, that might be rough. Yeah, you know, it's important. Yeah, we were talking about how we might flip and see a thing where now it's going to be competitive every year and you're not sure who's going to win that game every single season. But I think in order to jumpstart that, Michigan's got to win. And this is like a perfect year for them to do it because they are the favorites, even though they're on the road for this game. This is the perfect year for them to – if there's going to be a pivot, something has to change. If Ohio yeah. State wins this game, then it's just the same thing we've seen for the last six years. And they, they've been on this revenge tour, and they've talked about it a lot. I mentioned it briefly in a story this week. Um, they lost to Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State last year. They have beaten Mich- Michigan State, Penn yeah. State, and Wisconsin this year. So they're 3-0 and on the revenge tour. This is the last and most important stop. Clearly. And if they don't get it, just the same question that we, you know, people are asking if, if you don't beat Michigan, is it an unsuccessful year? I think Michigan, as much as I said this is the perfect time for Ohio State to lose and rationalize it, this is not the time for Michigan to no, lose. No, this is actually the perfect time for them to win and to jumpstart what is the revenge tour. Yeah. Well, you can't get revenge if you're losing. So, I mean, I did think in 2016 that was an opportunity for them. Um, it's just one of the, I mean, at some point you have to do it. So they will feel, in the end, if Ohio State doesn't win, I don't think like Ohio State or its fans will feel like anything was squandered. I think if Michigan doesn't win, that is what Michigan and Michigan fans will feel. Do you uh, agree with that? Can I interject something? Yeah. Uh, I think about the last time that it was clearly Michigan's year to win, and that was the last time that Michigan did win. And that came down to the final play against a clearly inferior Ohio State team of a Michigan Stadium. Oh, in 2011. Yeah. 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 That's the one that, I, that I've been thinking of, and that Michigan was clearly supposed to win that game. Clearly. Ohio State still somehow, by some dark magic, made it come down to the very end. I mean, Brax, another Brax freshman year. Another six inches yeah. on DeVere Posey's fingers, and maybe he catches that. And, yeah. And, like, Michigan was, like, melting down at the end. They had some late penalties that really cost them. And I just remember thinking to myself, if it doesn't happen here, it's never going to happen. Right. And they do. I mean, now six years later, it's we're yeah. back here again with another opportunity of, all right, this is your chance. And if it's not, then you're going to be waiting another five to six years before you get another opportunity like that. As much as, like, you can't live in the past, I do feel like when you get to a point like this, I feel like the, the 13 of 14 is something that is substantial in this game on the field. I think the 13 of 14 will be on that field. Absolutely. And it will be on Ohio State's side, and it will be weighing Michigan down to an extent. Having grown up in Toledo and watching the John Cooper years, same thing. It's the exact same thing. You knew watching those Ohio State games in the early 90s, the late 90s, it didn't matter that they had the better team. You knew that they had lost last year and the year before that, and that was going to factor into this game. It's the same thing now, I think. The history, I think a lot of times history, like – Old guys like us can talk about it too much, and like the twenty-year-olds are like, I don't know, you know. Somebody like asked Draymond Jones today. They're like, you know, back in the '80s, and he's like, I wasn't born yet. He's like, Yeah, you weren't born. You weren't even close to being born yet. But 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 there is there is some component of that that I think adds to internal pressure. And I think if it's close late, I think that will come into play. However, I do think, and we talked about this earlier. I think if Michigan gets out to a lead. 
I think it's possible that, a, that an Ohio State fan base, I'm not going to say spoiled, I'm not going to say taken for granted, but is accustomed to beating Michigan. Right. I think you t- could take an Ohio State crowd that's used to beating Michigan out of the game if Michigan gets out early, and then all of a sudden, I think it just might get away from everybody. Sure. But if it's tight at the end, then history, I think, the size of the history on the field grows, and that becomes a benefit for the Buckeyes and a negative for Michigan. Because I do think, and personally for Jim Harbaugh, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh feels human emotion, but if he does, then I would think that you would feel that. of like, oh, my God, am I going to be 0-4 against these guys? Right. So I, I think that's real. Look at this. We had the Bill Land. This is what happens. I want to do the podcast in the basketball media room every week. Get special guests. You don't even have to book anything. People just show up and want to start talking Buckeye football. Well, when your ratings go down, you, can, you have a convenient scapegoat this time. <laughs> I'm always in favor of scapegoats. You know that. <laughs> Thank you to our scapegoat, Adam Jardy. Thanks for having um, me, guys. i got to go get ready for basketball again. And make sure you listen <laughs> to his. <laughs> make sure. Yeah, anyway. You're fine. As long as you're there by the uh, last fair. 10 minutes. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, you that can is. listen to Adam on his podcast with the dispatch. Um, so, listen, I, I want to get to this one tweet, and I didn't get a chance to ask it this week. And the reason I didn't is because I forgot about it. And, like, the chance is gone, and I'm kind of ticked. WDK19, WDK cards. And I think he's asking again. He's asked for like three weeks now. Is Haskins leaning forward on the run plays, possibly tipping the play? Did you get a chance to ask Irvin about Somebody it? Somebody asked about that in the email too, about how he's you know standing like pre-snap. I think he is. Maybe it's late enough that a defense can't react. But I think if a linebacker is looking at Dwayne Haskins – the nanosecond before the ball is snapped, I think about 80% of the time they know what's coming. And I think Michigan's defense, like their coaching staff, would be the one defensive coaching staff that would like point that out. I'm not going to get to ask about it before the game, but I promise that we are going to be on alert for it during the game. Yeah. And if it looks like it's an issue, we will absolutely ask about it. And then I'll ask about it next week. If Ohio State somehow wins and is playing in the Big Ten Championship, I'll ask about it next week. I apologize I didn't ask about it this week. Justin O'Neill at O'Neill underscore Justin has Alabama and the SEC taken some of the hatred out of the Michigan rivalry. I hate our brethren to the south more than the north. Or is that they is it that they haven't beaten us in like 100 years? Thanks. I think anything that's been sucked out of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, if you believe it has, is based almost entirely on the fact that Ohio State has dominated it and almost entirely on the fact that, as I said before, and I wrote this a couple years ago, for 27 years it has not been an equal rivalry. It just so happens that it was – tilted as much one way as it then tilted another and if this ever gets back to the point where every year you don't know who's going to win and we get back to the 10-year war when it's 5-4-1 and one, I think it will be every bit as uh, meaningful um, and and uh, competitive and whatever full of hate or respect or whatever as it was back then I, I don't think that the modern college game and the playoff and the SEC stuff of course of course of course it's changed and, like, that, that affects the Rose Bowl and all that kind of stuff. But I just – I think people hate your rival as much as ever. But when your rival hasn't beaten you, you're not so worried about it. Yeah, I think rob- rivalries are always going to be rivalries. I think Alabama and whatever the SEC has going on or doesn't have going on has absolutely nothing to do with that. Like you just said, it's the fact that, like, Michigan hasn't been competitive for a consistent basis in this rivalry for the last 14 years. And so because of that – yeah, it's still, yeah, it's Michigan Week, so the aura around it, all the things that go into leading up to this game still exist. 
but during that two and a half hours that you're watching the game, it's just not nearly as like suspenseful as it should be because you kind of know who's going to win. So everything around the game, I think, still exists. But I think up until this season, a lot of the things that happened in that 60-minute football game haven't been as suspenseful. I, I just I think that will never go away. I think I think as much as um, I'm an old fart who I get frustrated no. with the Big Ten expansion, and I get frustrated with a million road night games, and I think there's a lot of things that make it um, not harder to be a fan. But you're, and I understand that things change, but it just um, I think sometimes when the world grows, your uh, you're, the intensity dissipates. It's almost like a, it's like a science experiment, you know. Like if you if you uh, have a cup of water, and you put a drop of food coloring in it, it's no longer just water. But well, if you put if you put a drop of red food coloring in a cup of water, that cup might get pretty red. If you put a drop that same drop of food coloring in a bathtub of water, you're barely even going to notice it's in there because instead of eight ounces of water, right. you have 600 ounces of water. And so in a world where instead of every Saturday at noon, we're playing the state next door and we hate those guys and Ohio State plays Michigan and Michigan State and Iowa and Indiana and Purdue and that's it. Now we're playing Rutgers and Maryland and Nebraska and sometimes it's at night and every now and then it's on a Thursday and you don't, it's not like we're only playing for the Rose Bowl and that's clear. Well, you might go to the Rose Bowl unless it's a playoff year, then you might go... It just it dissipates, but I still think I think the the Michigan Ohio State rivalry isn't a drop of food coloring. It's a rock, and so when you drop that rock in the water, it's not about how much you move the water. It's about that rock, and that rock is the same size whether you're putting it in a cup or a bathtub. A lot of the other stuff you're dropping in food coloring, and so the color is less intense. But you're dropping when you do this. For 115 years. That's a rock. And that won't change. And if it does change, shame on the Big Ten and shame on Jim Delaney and shame on anybody. Back when they wanted to move it and get it off the end of the year and people who didn't understand it, shame on anybody who would try to take a rock and make it just like another drop of food coloring like everything else in college football right now. There aren't a lot of rocks left. Some things never die. Rivalries never die. I think, now, there may be an expansion with the college football playoff. There may never be. Maybe the game might not be played at noon one year. Maybe it's played at 8 o'clock at night one year. But the concept of the fact that this is still Michigan versus Ohio State or Auburn and Alabama and so on and so on down the list, North Carolina and Duke in college basketball, the, the concept of these two schools dedicate a week of just intensifying the hate that already exists between the two and you just take a seven-day period and you intensify that hate, I don't think that's ever going to die. Now, the method of which that is, I guess, produced might change. No, I think, first of all, rivalry week in football should always be the last week of the season. That's just yeah. stupid to have it any time else. Like, why would you put a rivalry week in, like, week six? It's, it ruins what you're looking forward to at the end of the year. But as far as what time it's at, that may change sometimes. But the concept of my school hates your school 
The team I root for hates the team you root for. And for this seven-day period, we're going to intensify that hate to a whole nother extreme. I don't think that's ever going to die. I agree. I hope not. I yeah. hope not. Uh, numeral 1774. Dwayne had success against this Michigan defense last year. How different is their defense compared to last year? I think there's two main points, and we're going to start moving through these a little more quickly because we're almost at two hours. Um, I think their corners are better. I think their secondary is better. And I think the second thing is last year Michigan prepared for JT, and when you put in Dwayne and he's that different of a quarterback, it takes him by surprise a little bit. This year Michigan's prepared for Dwayne. They've had 11 games to prepare for Dwayne, so I think it's just going to be a different situation. I don't think you can go by too much of Dwayne making a couple big throws last year. Ken Bray at KBray960, what are the action plans to shore up the defense? I think the main thing, as we talked about earlier, Stephen, is simplify. Of all the things they could do, is there, is there anything else that you'd want to see? No. It, maybe maybe more Baron Browning if he's healthy? Yeah, I think obviously like there's like certain players <coughs> you want to see get more of an opportunity. But as far as like how like a schematic thing, all that extra stuff hasn't worked. Yeah. So why keep you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? So it'd be insane, especially going in this week. Oh my side! This looks so awkward. Right oh now. God, my right side! Now. Jesus! Oh, you need to go to like a chiropractor or something. Can but, you take me to the hospital? We're done here. Um, oh God, we gotta write stories. All right, yeah. I'll go next week. There you go. I think that what was I saying? Oh yeah, no, I think it'd be insane to try to come into this game and try to do something that's. Uh, unnecessarily complicated. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's... Uh, Urban Meyer said something about they're still looking at scheme changes. I mean, yeah. the last thing you want to do is do anything to confuse these guys more. Yeah. Uh, at Brett McMurphy's mustache. Uh, I don't have a question. I just love that you called Trace McSorley a playmaking leprechaun. I apologize. I didn't... I hope, I hope, I hope that's not a... <laughs> I will say, I, I, at the beginning of the year, I predicted uh, that by the end of the season, the two best quarterbacks in the Big Ten would be Dwayne Haskins and Shea Patterson in a world where Trey McSorley was coming back. And I think I was right. It's a pretty good prediction. All right, Jordan Steele. Um, I just so a couple people asked about this. And I want to make sure that people understand this as it relates to the Rose Bowl. I might write about this this week. Man, we can't get to everything. There's so many good questions. Um, if Ohio State loses and Michigan then wins the Big Ten championship and go to the playoff, the Rose Bowl gets the Big Ten champion, and that team is defined as the team that wins the Big Ten championship game, obviously. The Rose Bowl gets that team this year unless that team goes to the playoff. In that scenario, the Rose Bowl takes the next highest-ranked team in the playoff rankings. They don't take the loser of the Big Ten championship game or anything. So in a world where Ohio State and Michigan each have one loss currently and everybody else in the league has like nine losses, Ohio State, if Ohio State loses to Michigan, Ohio State is going to wind up as the second highest rated team. No doubt about it. So if Michigan goes to the playoff, Ohio State goes to the Rose Bowl by rule. If Michigan does not go to the playoff, either because... Northwestern upsets Michigan, and Northwestern goes to the Rose Bowl as the Big Ten champ. Now no Big Ten team goes to the playoff. Then Ohio State's going to like drop down two bowls from the Rose Bowl. I think Michigan in that scenario. I think Ohio State, if it doesn't go to the Rose Bowl, so there's, there's that scenario where Michigan doesn't go to the playoff. There's also the scenario where Michigan is the Big Ten champion at 12-1 and and doesn't get in. 
like Ohio State last year. If somehow the committee would take Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, and Oklahoma, let's say, ahead of Michigan, except Michigan's already number four right now, so I would find that very unlikely. I find it almost impossible that Michigan would win out and not get in. Um, So basically, I I think the only thing, if Ohio State loses to Michigan, basically the only thing that keeps Ohio State out of the Rose Bowl is if Northwestern wins the Big Ten. Which is highly unlikely. I mean, Northwestern, I mean, is... But here's the thing. Michigan and Northwestern played earlier this year. It's the closest game Michigan's played. Whatever it was, 21-17 or 20-17. That's fine. I mean, Michigan is a far superior team, and that Northwestern team has never been on a stage like this, so I don't know if those guys are going to know how to win in that situation. But... I have Rose Bowl, like I have a Rose Bowl flight just in case um, you can make one. Because there's even a world where like Ohio State, if Ohio State beats Michigan, they still might end up in the Rose Bowl. Because if Ohio State beats Michigan and Ohio State wins the Big Ten, if Ohio State does not make the playoff, then they go to the Rose Bowl as the Big Ten champ. So basically what you're telling me is like when I go home and I just go ahead and book a flight. There's like three paths to the Rose Bowl. And, like, one path to the playoff and, like, a very skinny path to anywhere else. And Southwest lets you cancel your flight without yeah. losing all your money. You don't get the money back, but you get all the money back that now becomes credit on another flight for a year. Yeah. Yeah. So. Always Southwest. Either way, like, that money is going to be going to some flight. You can't, play, you can't fly anywhere else. Everyone else has, like, a huge change fee. I haven't yeah, flown I a, fl- a flight other than the Southwest in like 10 years. I would never fly anywhere besides Southwest. Maybe we should get Southwest as a sponsor. That's what I was like, going for here. Southwest, can we get some like sponsorship here? All right, let's finish it up with this. Jordan Steele, the Jordan Steele, our guy. And I'm sorry to all the questions we didn't get to. They were all great this week. What does this game come down to? The Ohio State defense doing enough to keep them in the game? The <laughs> offensive line giving Haskins time and the running backs holes? Or simply coaching? I'm going to go with two of those three, I think, because it's just relying on the defense at this point in the season. It's just like, no, it's a terrible way to gamble. I think it's going to come down to coaching, and I think it's going to come down to the offense. How much of this load can the offense shoulder? They showed last week against a team that they probably shouldn't have, in a game where they should not have had to shoulder the load, they shouldered the load and did just enough to win them a game. Can I don't think they're going to put up 52 points again. But can they do just enough to, I guess, offset some of the deficiencies in the defense? And then also the coaching staff. Are they going to come in and simplify things? Are they going to go out there and try to come up with some mastermind scheme that's going to get them beat on big play after big play again? And we'll give our picks in here at the end. That's fine. Because um, we only did the video for it. I think, I, I think I, to me, it comes down to the offensive line. It sounds like they think Thayer Munford's going to play. Um, we don't know on Chase Winovich. I think the Chase Winovich situation with Michigan is enough to swing it. Um, I will tell you I made my pick on Tuesday, and I picked Michigan to win something. I can't remember exactly now. Was it something like 37 to 20 or something like that? I thought it was like yeah. a convincing Michigan wire-to-wire win. And if, if Ohio State only scores 20 points, that's because Michigan's pass rush is in Dwayne Haskins' face all day and not giving him time to be Dwayne Haskins. And I think it's possible that – Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich and the rest of this defense are going to once and for all show that, like, yeah, this line was, was okay at times but just not good enough. And if they get consistent pressure and are in the backfield um, tackling guys for losses and that kind of thing, that's just going to be a very long day. And I think that would be the thing. It's almost like Ohio State's defense is so used to giving stuff up. If they give stuff up, I don't know that they'll get frustrated because it's like, well, they give stuff up all, stuff up all year. 
if like Dwayne can't get going, that would make things worse. Like the only game this year where he really couldn't get going was Penn State, and they figured out the screen game in the fourth quarter and it saved him. Um, if that happens and like they can't get going, because the Michigan defense is definitely better than the, the Penn State defense, I think that's the, the scenario where where Michigan just sort of like takes this game over. And so that's sort of my prediction. I think that's the matchup. Can the Ohio State offensive line hold up against this really good Michigan State defense? I think it's sound. I think their defensive coordinators, I don't think it. The world thinks it. Don Brown, people think he might be the best coordinator in college football. Um, I think they're going to have, if you think other people, if you thought that like Minnesota had a plan for Dwayne Haskins or like other teams had plans to say, well, we'll let him throw, we'll do this, we'll take away I don't think you're going to see any – what you're going to see now is unlike anything uh, any other team has done. And I know Michigan State had a great rush defense, but I think across the board, overall, Michigan has the much better overall defense. So Dwayne Haskins is great. That's not in dispute. I think if the coverage is tight and the pass rush is consistent, I think it might be hard for him to have a great day. I actually also predicted for him to throw for 400 yards, but I think it could be like the least impactful 400 yards you ever see, where maybe they don't get anything over the top, they move the ball between the trunk 20s. They get held to some field goals. They have a goofy three and out that, you know, at, at the worst time, not, a, you know, that they, they make, they have a 50-yard drive that stalls at the 38, right, when they're getting to field goal range. And gosh, they have to punt again, that the Michigan State defense sort of stands up in important times. I don't think they'll shut down Dwayne Haskins, but I think if they get consistent pressure on him, they will make it hard for the Buckeyes to score. Maybe they'll move it, but hard to score. We've seen that at times. So I think if, if they have – if Dwayne could be Dwayne and be making touchdown throws because he has time, then I think Ohio State could win. So you're saying he's going to go for like 400 yards on like one touchdown. So it's like four yeah. empty yards pretty much. Yeah, that, is, that basically is like, that like for a team that whatever has given up 200 and something yards per game, the fewest in the nation they're by willing, a lot. They're willing to give that up as long as none of those passes end up with them in a part of the – field that's not great and like maybe the run game does nothing right they completely shut down the run game Dwayne throws for a lack of a better phrase empty yards like you said that's a lot of empty yards yeah the people would say well Dwayne played pretty good but like man he they just you know that third down throw in the end zone to Ben Victor they had covered Mm -hmm. or oh they you know I just I just see that and I just see Michigan winning comfortably in a game that maybe Ohio State's never really in yeah, and my whole prediction was simply – it was similar to that, but more under the, under the lines like after seeing last week, what we saw was Ohio State's offense constantly having an answer for a lackluster defense. That their, their, their defense was very lackluster, and the Ohio State offense constantly had to come right back on the field. They never had a time until the overtime where they were led in the game. Every time they were scoring, it was to get back – get the game back tied or to get back into the game. And I think – The difference between Michigan and Maryland is Michigan is a much better team. And so, unlike in the Maryland game, every time Michigan scores, Ohio State's not going to be able to answer back. So, Ohio State's defense is not going to get enough stops so that, basically, what it boils down to is Dwayne Haskins and the offense aren't going to be able to recover from a lot of things that the defense just cannot do. The defense is going to start a fire that the offense just can't put out. Man, you are dropping phraseology today, man. I'm telling you guys, man. Bring me in for like some motivational speeches. <laughs> Ooh, man. I'm here for it. Oh, man. So Stephen Means is going to go cover basketball. I'm going to go write football stories. We want to give a tremendous shout-out 
um, to our three sponsors this week. One is shopohiostate.com, the Ohio State University bookstore. Um, Dave Campbell, our sports editor, and I went in there on when we were doing a tour in Columbus um, trying to sell ads for this podcast, and we went in there. Uh, it's a beautiful store on High Street. We kind of were shooting high off the bat, and we could not believe we locked down an ad the very first time we had a meeting in Columbus. Um, tremendous people there. We are proud to be associated with them. We hope you guys have patronized shopohiostate.com. Uh, it helps our podcast. Uh, it helps them. And um, and I, I hope we can keep to, uh, adding more sponsors here on Buckeye Talk. And if you guys uh, make it happen for shopohiostate.com, that will make that happen for us. We also want to thank our great friends at minimantickets.com. Uh, Dave and I went to uh, dinner with one of those guys. Real dude. Um, committed to the community, a real Columbus guy. This is an entrepreneurial startup that is making good things happen. Um, they are dedicated to it. They are enthusiastic. They are um, real guys that, that you really can rely on. That I hope if you guys have ticket needs, you have used MinutemanTickets.com. And then our new sponsor for this week, good luck to OurParking.Space and Somto working out of the McDonald's. Listen, you've, you've got to park, right? And you're going to pay the same money, but this is going to ease your mind. It's just like when you're paying all this money for the tickets and stuff, it's just how can you, oh, where are we going to park? Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I've been there. I get a parking pass now for press stuff. But when I'm a fan, I've been there. We've all been there. It sucks. So go to ourparking.space and make it easy. Pick your lot. Click on a button. Credit card. You get the text to your phone. You have your code. You know exactly where to go. And you can just get ready to enjoy the game and not worry about anything else. So if you're heading to Columbus for Ohio State, Michigan, if you're heading to Columbus to the Ohio State campus for an event in the future, go to ourparking.space and ease your parking hassle. So that's going to do it for this Buckeye Talk. Drop the reviews on iTunes. We certainly appreciate those. Back to a five-star. We were hovering for a while at four and a half. Some really nice reviews. People are excited about Steven and the energy he has injected into the podcast. And that was even before Steven started dropping motivational speeches in the middle of a sports podcast. It's only going to get better, guys. We're going to get into more basketball when football eases off a little bit. But we have the early signing day coming up in December. We have a lot of football stuff. And guess what? A week from now, we very well could be talking about Ohio State getting ready for the Big Ten championship game and how Steven and I were both wrong in our predictions. So... We'll talk to you guys later, but this is the end of the regular season, so we want to give a shout-out and a thank you to all of our loyal listeners, and it has been an interesting year for Buckeye Talk, more transition than ever. Um, we started off with three people. We ended with two people, and only one of them is the same, so I appreciate you guys hanging with me the whole way. I appreciate you guys welcoming Steve into the podcast and to the uh, Cleveland.com Ohio State beat, and um, you make it fun, and we enjoy doing this podcast for you guys. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We will see you for the post-game podcast on Saturday for Ohio State, Michigan. For now, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.